Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsythe. So happy you're here on The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsythe. It's an encore show for you this weekend. And uh, back in 2010, we had a, a brand new book out and a great author. His name is Dr. Rafi Muhammad. Uh, his book is called The 1% Windfall, How Successful Companies Use Price to Profit and Grow back in 2010. He's also written a couple of other books, but a, a great interview and a wonderful person. Dr. Muhammad has been working on uh, pricing issues for l- the last 21 years. He is the founder of Culture of Profit LLC. It's a Cambridge Mass-based uh, company that consults with businesses to help develop and improve their pricing strategy. So that's what you're going to get on today's advertising show. We'll make you a little bit smarter as far as that goes, right? Advertising show is brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. Hope you enjoy today's encore interview. Uh, but Rafi, it is such a pleasure to have you and an honor to have you here at the Advertising Show. Thanks for being here. Ray, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, Rafi, we, uh, Ray and I both just loved your book, uh, Harper Business, great publisher, and uh, some some great things you've uh, written about. And before we begin discussing some of the brilliant pricing strategies you describe in your book, Rafi, let's talk a little bit about the missteps many take when determining pricing. Describe some of the more common mistakes that you see out there when it comes to choosing a price strategy, or, or maybe it's the fact that you may not even have a strategy. Sure. Well, I think, first of all, I mean, I, I posit that pricing is one of the most important strategies for any company because, you know, people work very hard, you, you advertise, you bring a product to market, and then the way you get compensated, quite frankly, is the price that you set. And uh, so it's very important from a profit standpoint. It's also important from the consumer standpoint because one of the key attributes that consumers look at you know, certainly from, you know, in, in, in advertising is, is what is the price. So it's a very important p- component of a product. And, uh, and what I found is that people work very hard to bring a product to market, but when it comes time to, to set price, they'll say, something, they'll, they'll say something like, oh, we'll just do it, we'll match what the competitor does. Or well, the most common mistake is to mark up your cost. So it costs us this. We're going to charge double double the price, and so it's sort of funny. You guys would find this funny, I think. Uh, when I was writing this book, a friend of mine had said that you should figure out which professor, you know, way back when, told people that they should uh, that they should uh, mark up their cost mm-hmm. and try and estimate how many trillions of dollars were left on the table because companies were doing cost plus pricing. Okay. <laughs> yes. Interesting. So, and the point is, is that cost plus pricing, I need to double my cost, you know, sort of same prices by, say, doubling your cost. It has absolutely nothing to do with how the consumer thinks about price. So the key to better pricing is really to think like a consumer and understand what the consumer is looking at. And, you know, very few consumers out there saying, the most I'm willing to pay is double what I think it costs their customers. (laughs) So therefore... The simple notion, and for you know, many companies do cost plus pricing. The simple notion of getting away from cost plus and focusing on the value of your product—that simple, just that concept change 
can really end up making you a lot of money. Okay, so we've established, Rafi, that better pricing is far more than simply raising prices. Let's lay some groundwork here if we can. You say in your book, value-based pricing is the foundation for profits and growth. I understand value-based pricing is a relatively new concept for most companies. Can you give us a definition, please? Sure. So let me give you a simple example, which I think encapsulates the notion of, of value-based pricing. Um, so umbrella v- in, uh, uh, street vendors in Manhattan, the minute that it looks like it's going to rain, the savvy street vendors double the price of their umbrellas. So this simple story captures the notion of, of, of uh, setting prices to capture value. The price that, that you should charge and the price that consumers are willing to pay has absolutely nothing to do with the cost of a product. Instead, it's what the next best alternative is for a consumer. So a consumer stuck in Central Park and it's about to rain, the next best alternative is hope, you know, maybe run 10 blocks to get an umbrella from the local CVS, but you know, they're willing to pay more of a premium. So it's all about the next best alternative. So uh, a ham sandwich to a hungry person is uh, 50 bucks is a good thing then, isn't it, Robbie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Go ahead, Brad. You know, and the, I think the beauty of, of your book, if I can digress for a moment, is that you, you have not only some illustrative examples as you just gave, and I've been in New York and I've caught it uh, during a, down, a downpour, and you're right, those umbrellas, frankly, weren't even available before it started raining, and the price does go up tremendously, whether it's a street vendor or, in some cases, even walking into a, to a store. But uh, let's, let's uh, restate it for, for our audience. Value-based pricing is a product price based on the next best alternatives price. So let's talk about some of the key characteristics that you describe in your book that differentiate a company's product from its competitors, something that is typically used as a point of comparison. And I guess we could start with the brand. Sure, exactly. So obviously, if you have two products that are sitting right next to each other and are exactly identical, the price has to be the same, right? And so, so, so the notion of value-based pricing is using uh, what the next best alternative is, so the next product uh, uh, that's available, and trying to understand how your product is differentiated. So a great example is brand. So there's, there's been studies that if you invest in your brand, on average, consumers are willing to pay a premium of 20 to 25 percent because they value the comfort and the security and the, the, you know, the, the measure of quality that a brand will uh, sort of communicate to a consumer. So it could be the same exact product as it is in many cases because many branded companies actually do produce private label products, uh, but the brand... The, but, the simple brand on it differentiates the products, and that's very valuable to consumers, and they're willing to pay a premium for it. So the BrewDog beer at 500 pounds may not be well off the mark as far as pricing goes. There, there's some value there, huh? Well, I think there's value in the sense that not necessarily a, uh, a brand, but it certainly does have unique attributes that the next best alternative doesn't have, and it'll be curious to see if people are willing to willing to pay the sort of 495-pound premium for it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And, you, and you make a point in your book about uh, not only the brand as being an attribute, a point of comparison, the quality, uh, attributes of the, of the product itself, uh, service as well. But the, another one that I think is uh, one that everyone can relate to, and that is ease of purchase. And you give the example of the C-Store, the convenience store. 
Sure, sure. So we see this all the time. I mean, convenience stores could be, you know, half a mile away from a major grocery store, but the prices are 50% higher. Some people would say that that's taking advantage of the consumers, but consumers, here's the beauty of value. In most cases, consumers have a choice. And the people who choose to go to a a convenience store and say, I know I have the opportunity to go down the street and park my car, walk really far, go through the whole store, pick up the items, and then wait in the checkout line. But I'm willing to pay a premium for the notion of being able to park right in, run in, and run out because I value it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that's uh, taking advantage of the customer. I think it's offering an option for consumers, and they can decide if they want to take it or not. Sure, willing to pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, what's your time worth? You know, another uh, one of your final uh, point of comparisons is, uh, as you say, style. Would would Apple and the iPad or their various other products, such as the iPhone, would that be an example of where they differentiate themselves through style and that consumers are willing to pay more for maybe a similar product made by a, uh, a less quality brand? Sure. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're renowned for having some of the hippest styles, and it's not only good-looking, but it's something that when the market adopts, lots of people want to also have it because they value being a part of that brand. So a lot of people want to have the new iPhone because their friends have it. And it works sometimes, too. That's a good thing. Uh, Brad, let's take a break here for just, <laughs> take a break for just a minute here. Rafi is uh, our guest, Rafi Muhammad out of uh, Boston author of a brand new book called The 1% Windfall. Pricing? Uh, yeah, price check on aisle three, I guess, would be a good way to put that, too, as well. We'll tell you where to get the book and, uh, and more as we continue with the advertising show. We're going to take a little break here. We'll be right back in just a minute. Stay right here. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. This program is brought to you by the makers of Popsicle, Budgicle, and Creamsicle, those delicious frozen confections on a stick. Now I have a swell surprise for you. The famous winner of the typical American boy contest has now become Popsicle Pete. And here's a message from him. Hello, everybody. I sure am glad to meet you. Well, you certainly did choose a good time to tune into the advertising show, and a great day as well as our special guest is Rafi Muhammad out of Boston, and he is author of a brand new book called uh, The 1% Windfall. It's all about pricing and uh, perceived value and uh, so on and so forth. And we'll tell you more about uh, the website is how to get the book and such. But I find this very interesting. His background, um, Rafi is a doctor, okay, but he also developed a new theoretical build uh, bundling model and presented the first empirical test, listen to this, Brad, on the profitability of bundling using data from the rock concert industry. And my question to Rafi is how high were you when you did that uh, that segment? <laughs> what a cool dissertation, huh? Yeah, how many I mean, guys, you know, have, 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 have uh, written a, a, a more interesting dissertation? Um, well, here's a punchline. Here's a quick punchline. So... So many amphitheaters, in the, so bundling is actually the most popular pricing strategy ever. And so there's been a lot of theories that, oh, if you bundle your products, you'll make more money. But no one has ever tested it about how profitable it is. So roughly one-third of the amphitheaters in the United States use a bundling strategy where you have to buy four or five concerts together. And what's interesting is the price is actually higher than the sum of the individual ticket prices, and the remaining two-thirds don't. So I basically did, the, I did this test, and I found that who, there was usually a very big person leading the bundle, for instance, Jimmy Buffett. 
But there are always a couple dogs in the bundle, and on average, these dogs, the, you know, these poor-performing uh, groups, whenever they're in the bundle, they sold an extra 3,000 tickets every time they showed up and there was a bundle. So I had this great interview with, uh, with the manager of the Doobie Brothers at the time, and he goes, you know, he goes, we never really understood. We, we were playing shows. We weren't doing that well. And all of a sudden, we'd show up at the show, and there were just tons of people there. And so it so happened that these were people who had bought the bundle. Oh, my. Okay. So. The, well, you speak, it. see, he gave it away right there. He said the Doobie Brothers. I mean, come on now. That's a, that's a giveaway. I'm, I'll never forget, I was flying in Akron, Ohio one time, and I was in the pattern, and the tower said, you are number two to follow the Doobie Liner. And I'm going, is that a new airline? Uh, and he said, no, that's the Doobie Brothers. They have two airplanes, and they call it the Doobie Liner. One would hope that the pilot wasn't high. You know what I mean? Right. Good thing. Go ahead, Brad. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, you know, Rafi, since we're just casually chit-chatting here, I'm curious. I'm looking at your book. It says uh, $27.99. Did you have any role in the pricing <laughs> of your own book? <laughs> it's funny you should say that. I actually didn't. But I do have a story about uh, the price of the last book, The Art of Pricing. We had decided it was going to be $25. Then one day, all of a sudden, it was priced at twenty four ninety five. So I called Random House. I'm like, why the change? And they were like, mm, a retailer told us they'd rather have that twenty four ninety five than 25 <laughs> okay. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've heard, that, I've heard that argued both ways. You know, some yeah. people think that, uh, well, maybe we can get you to weigh in on this. Some people think that, you know, the consumer's an idiot and that they don't think that twenty four ninety nine is really 25 bucks. Others say, uh, shoot them straight, get off on the right foot, tell them it's $25, do not play the, the .99-cent game. Uh, where do you come down on that, Robert? Well, it's, inter- it's actually interesting. Uh, there was a study out of Cornell University that basically found that consumers perceive a number ending in 9 as value or a number ending in 5 as value but a number ending in zero as strength and confidence. Hmm. So it's interesting. In my, private, in, my, in my private consulting, once I was dealing with a company that always ended with a 99, but on the, this new brand new product, it was ending with a zero. And I was like, well, why did you do that? And they said, you know, I wanted to convey how confident I am about this product. Hmm. So it often reflects confidence. I just bought a brief. I just bought a briefcase off of Zappo for a hundred bucks. Even it's like no, there's no tax, there's no shipping. It's a hundred bucks, you know, Mister Shillings. I said, well, that's fine. I like that. You know, I'm, I'm yeah, confident I, in my purchase. I think that I think that makes a lot of sense, uh, uh, Rafi. And uh, you know, since we're talking a little bit about it, and you mentioned your consultancy, uh, you know, a lot of the, our listeners around the world are working on the business side of, of business and. Others work within the advertising agency or branding or media business. So I'm curious, can a pricing strategy differ or should a pricing strategy differ depending on who your customer is? In other words, if you're a B2B company selling your products or services to other businesses, uh, d- does this come into play when considering your pricing strategy versus a business-to-consumer to, uh, business company? Sure. I mean, there are different strategies, whether you're B2B or B2C, but let me go one step further and sort of say the whole goal of having a different strategy is to activate a new customer segment. And so, so I'll give you an example. Zip cars entered the market, and they found that there was a market for people who wanted to rent a car by the hour. They didn't want to do it by the day. They wanted it convenient. And so I would say that, that part of their what was unique about Zipcar is they looked at the at, at which segment they were trying to activate, and they were trying to find the right pricing strategy. 
And are they are they actually more expensive than a traditional? I, I would assume they're a few bucks more, huh? Yeah, they're a few bucks more. But it's the whole. It, it was the whole by the hour that really did well for them. And now they're getting a lot of competition. Virtually every major rental car company is now trying to, to go go do hourly rentals in the, in town to to activate that market. So it's a pricing strategy that that really sort of activated a new market uh, for for customers. And like a great example is like interval ownership. So you know uh, condominiums, uh, you know brand new customers have been uh, activated by a new pricing strategy. Some people didn't want to buy the whole condo, but they'd rather buy a week or two interval ownership. And the other thing about zip cars is they not only uh, do that hourly thing, but they get the car to you, so you don't have to go get it or anything. I know uh, one of the enterprise uh, places say they do that. Uh, speaking of by the hour, that's normally how Brad makes his vacation plans at the hotels. I think it's uh, kind of absurd, <laughs> but what the hell. <laughs> Yeah, but Hopefully it's a cheaper rate, and if you can discount. get out by you know, if you can get out by the afternoon, it's a good deal. <laughs> you miss breakfast. <laughs> hey, you know, Rafi, uh, you know, you touched upon uh, an interesting point with the zip card, and and I want to talk a little bit about uh, what you call well, you've been quoted as saying, "Forget about operating margins; profits are the best metric." of pricing success. I think most might find that a bit controversial, that point of view. Talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, it's a great point. And, and I actually wrote an article on the Harvard Business Review's website, and it caused a lot of controversy. And, you know, the bottom line is that people, uh, is that managers seem to be obsessed with what is my operating margin. Should it be 10% or 15%? For instance, Unilever was, was really focused on increasing their operating margin. But at the end of the day, what really matters is how much money you've made. So, you know, in the book, I have the, you know, a, a simple example of offering a, a gourmet ra- restaurant offering early bird, regular, and chef's tables. Well, obviously, the early bird aren't going to make as much margin as, as a chef's table. So if you were focused on a margin analysis, you might not offer the early bird special. But at the end of the day... That simple strategy, though it offers different margins, better utilizes your capacity, and more importantly, serves more customers. And at the end of the day, you generally will make more money that way. So, at the, uh, you know, I feel like the way to, to uh, measure the success of an initiative is, gee, how much money did we make? Does that seem fair? That seems I very get- fair and logical. I and mean, you probably don't have any automotive clients, you know, stack them deep and sell them cheap. I would imagine. We're going to take a break here on the advertising show. Rafi Mohammed is our special guest, author of a book called The 1% Windfall. What are you charging for your stuff out there? I want to pick up a copy of the book. We're going to be back in just a moment on the advertising show. Back on the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe. And this is probably the coolest thing about Rafi. He knows the Tappet Brothers. He actually has his car Worked on by the Tappet Brothers, the click and clack guys. I want your autograph, Ravi. I think that's pretty cool. Thanks. Now, what's interesting about their pricing strategy is I feel like their pricing is, say, 10 to 15% higher than the norm, and they only accept cash. Okay? <laughs> but uh, what I found is that I can really trust those guys. I 100% trust them. So I've had a lot of very pleasant experiences with them. Wow. Cash when you're getting a new transmission could be a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, really. Brad, go ahead. You know, 
I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel, Ray, but it would be kind of like going to Dr. Oz for some medical work. You know, I want a guy that's working full time. I don't want him doing a radio show plus in the mechanic. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the great part about it. I think it's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'd keep an old car just to have something to have them work on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> just to hear their jokes. Hey, uh, yeah. let's talk a little bit about, uh, you touched upon it with your, your restaurant uh, example, which I think is what you call versioning in your book. Exactly. Uh, one of the strategies, the new pricing strategies that you illustrate, and I think it's a great uh, point that you make, Rafi. I mean, at the end of the day, you should draw a line under your sales and see what your profit is relative to your expenses, and that should be how your pricing strategy is working, as opposed to uh, going through the aggravation of feeling like you're giving away your product for the first hour on the early bird special, as you illustrated it, versus charging full price later in the evening, et cetera, et cetera. The bottom line is, as you say, is uh, are you making money? Give us some other examples of the versioning idea that you illustrate in your book? Well, I think that every company should offer some form of good, better, best. And the reason is, is that generally for every, every product or service, you have customers with different valuations. Some really love it or some are, pro, are not price sensitive. They'll always go to the, to the best. So it could be a best quality or, you know, the newest product on, on the line. But every company really should have a couple different versions. And I think, and I always recommend this, and people are surprised. The, the beauty of that, about this is that it gives customers choices. Customers can choose what product they can, uh, that they want to buy. And I think people are generally surprised that a lot of customers will, will pay more for a higher quality product. So how does, uh, when I read your book in this particular area that we're speaking of right now, you also use the term differential pricing. Differential pricing and versioning sound similar. Well, I, they're similar only in the sense that they attract customers with different, with different um, valuations. So good, better, best, you know, people who don't have a high, who have a low valuation for the product by the good, people who have the high valuation uh, by the best. Now, differential pricing is different. And once again, every company should have differential pricing. And that's the notion of having the same product, but being able to sell them in different channels or different distributions or different promotions at a different price. So a great example I have is that, you know, many years ago I was visiting a friend of mine. He's a, he was a Hollywood executive, and, and so he had invited me and my family to sort of stay at his house. And I was excited about it, and uh, you know, I was like, gee, I wonder if we're going to go to a Hollywood party. And what's interesting, the first thing he said, he goes, oh, we have to wake up tomorrow at 7, because our favorite uh, furniture store has its annual uh, customer appreciation sale the third uh, you know, Saturday of February. And what was interesting is that this guy had it clearly in his mind, and he is actually very price sensitive. So it was very important to him, and so what he did is that he was able to go there that morning and get, and get products at a different price, at a lower price. And that's the great part of differential pricing is that customers have to be proactive, and they have to sort of raise their hand and say, price is really important to me to get a discount. And that's a great way of identifying customers who have a different valuation for your product. Outstanding point. For any of those out there that are nonprofits or that handle nonprofits uh, advertising and marketing, in your book you say nonprofits care about pricing just as much as their for-profit counterparts. So give us an example of how the pricing blossom strategy, which we really haven't talked about 
uh, today. And I want you to go out and buy the book, The 1% Windfall, if you want to learn about the pricing blossom strategy that Rafi illustrates so well and so frequently throughout his book. But give us an example of how the pricing blossom strategy can apply to a nonprofit. Sure. So every nonprofit really has the same goal. What they're trying to do is they're trying to serve as many customers as possible and make as much money as possible. And, they can, and, and they're not going to take it as a profit. They're going to reinvest that into their, into their, uh, into their uh, organization. So most nonprofits now have a good, better, best option. So the Metropolitan Museum of Art, they have these memberships that range from, say, $45, where you get you know, a monthly newsletter, to $20,000, where you get to meet the president. And once again, it's about giving people options, and they can pay what they value. The Metropolitan Museum also, we discuss differential pricing. They also have differential pricing in the notion that while they have a recommended, they're not allowed to charge, but they have a recommended donation. And the donation varies by, for instance, your age, whether you're a student, whether you're a senior, or whether you're affiliated with certain types of of, uh, groups. And also they they have some days where they'll say, oh, you know, we don't. You know, there's no recommended uh, donation. So, so sure, every single nonprofit really has the same objective as as private as for profits, and they can use use the same pricing methodology. Because at the end of the day, what the goal of my pricing strategy is really to get the most people as uh, as possible in the door to pay what they're willing to pay, and you can take that profit either as income or reinvest it into your organization to make your uh, your nonprofit even better. I think we've uh, given uh, our listeners uh, enough of a uh, kind of a sneak peek into what's in the book, The 1% Windfall. A pricing for Profit is a website that I have, Rafi. It's also available uh, lots of other places as well, right? Exactly. All right. Amazon.com. Uh, g- g- say that again, please. It's also available, of course, on Amazon.com. Yeah, very good. I uh, want to say thanks. Uh, we, we talk to a lot of people, especially all over the years, and this has been a lot of fun talking to you today, so we appreciate that. Best of best of luck with the book as you uh, and write some more of those things too. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Very good. On the advertising show, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsythe, go get the book. The One Percent Windfall. Rafi Muhammad is the author of that book. Back in just a minute with more with Ray and Brad on the advertising show. Once again, thanks to Dr. Rafi Muhammad, our guest today on the advertising show. Another encore performance. And uh, we certainly hope you enjoyed the interview. Also love to hear from you at theadvertisingshow.com. Powered by an incredible vehicle called Tendency. It's available through a a web company called Shipple Web Marketing. And it's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. Shipple.com does a great job for the advertising show. And uh, check them out. You can find out some really cool things there. Advertising Show is also brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show, a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production, and we will talk to you again soon. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.